Hello and welcome to an EG Property Podcast from MIPIM 2023. This session, we're going to look at the use of PropTech to explore and improve the most interesting, impactful and profitable issues in our sector. This panel is chaired by Samantha McClary, head editor at EG, and she's joined on the panel by fellow panelists, Vincent Bryant, chief executive and co-founder of DeepKey, Svet Donchova, investor relations lead PropTech One, and finally, Louisa Dickens, co-founder of LMRE. Okay, good afternoon, everyone, and um, welcome uh, to the EG Pavilion. My name's Sam McLaren, the editor here at EG. It's a, a delight to have you here again at a lunchtime when the sun is shining and people have come in and I'm um, uh, blown away. Uh, we hope it's the very strong purple gins uh, and uh, So um, that uh, also means that what I will say uh, as, my, as part of my intro will resonate uh, with quite a few of you. So I'm Svet Donchiva, I lead investor relations at PropTech One, uh, which is a venture capital fund that invests in early stage PropTech and construction tech across Europe. 
Um, the companies that we back are at the tech intersection of real estate, energy, and infrastructure. That means that those are startups, innovative solutions that are innovating across the entire real estate value chain. Uh, and we are backed by entities uh, who have uh, big exposure to real estate, such as banks, for example, Commercial, Pelaba, might be some of the names that you have heard, JLL Spark. Uh, is an investor of ours as well, and entities that are seeking to uh, use PropTech, use technology in order to um, facilitate and to scale their decarbonization efforts. Because I think as we will uh, see and hear and discuss uh, in this conversation, uh, PropTech has expanded, has boomed over the last decade, and navigating that landscape for um, those corporates and those entities is quite difficult, quite challenging without uh, without a partner. But um, yeah, so leaving it over to uh, to Vincent, I think one of the questions will be how, how we know each other, because I think that's far from the first time that we've been uh, together in the same conversation. But yeah, over to you. Thanks, Marian. Okay. Uh, I'm Vincent Bryant, the co-founder and CEO of DeepKey. Uh, we are a SaaS company uh, to help the real estate industry transition towards uh, net zero. Uh, practically speaking, what we do is to help uh, asset managers and occupiers uh, to uh, get a comprehensive overview of their ESG, uh, ESG performance on their portfolio. So what is my most polluting asset, what is my least polluting asset? Second step is to help uh, to get actionable uh, insights in order to reduce uh, this uh, impact on the climate change over ESG topic. And it includes uh, having network kind of pathways, business plans, all these things. And the third step is to implement things. The hardest part is to implement things. Execution is absolutely key, and we cannot say that today's market is fully ready for it, so we need to speed up, and we are so happy to help our customers working on that. We are based in uh, uh, London, Berlin, Paris, Milan, Madrid, and New York, and we have uh, 350 energetic, uh, fully committed people willing to uh, help transition this market towards us. So very happy uh, for being here, and thank you, AG, for having us. Oh, absolute pleasure. And let, let's go back to that, um, how you all know each other and actually how how the conversations that you've all had have changed over, over the last few years, decades, um, how long it, it might be before we get into the conversation. Yeah, Vincent, would you like to share how it first how it first no. yeah, okay. uh, Maybe it would be actually interesting from a startup perspective. What did you think when you came in to, to meet us? Uh, well, because... The, the previous firm that I work at was uh, was the VC spin out out of a multinational real estate investment manager. So of course um, the interest was as a potential customer, but also as a potential investment uh, seeker, right? Indeed, yeah. Actually, we met in London, uh, well in your previous life, <laughs> and uh, there were several leverages to to action on that. And uh, now uh, we raised three times funds. And so it's important for us to be very well connected with all the investors, especially the prop tech ones, because indeed the landscape is not easy to understand, and you need people who understand what you do uh, in order to be uh, well supported by them. And uh, with Wisa, I mean, how many people have you hired for us? I don't know yet. <laughs> not enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also met Swede as well. A, a big thing which we're going to touch on a bit later is about how can we hire more diverse skill sets into it. I'm not just talking about data and innovation skills, and we're also talking about people of minority, different genders, and so forth. So, as Betty and I met maybe four years ago or something, think about what other initiatives can we work on, and that's through different events which we do as well. So, yeah, maybe these guys for some time. Yeah, and I think 
back to, I think that was pre-pandemic times in 2019 that we met for the first time, but back then he was um, a company that was not as familiar to many real estate stakeholders, whereas now it's probably one of the go-to solutions um, in their category uh, for, for many. So just to show you the speed and the pace in which progress uh, is taking place and how many, um, how many more companies are being created and uh, the the way to navigate uh, that landscape yeah could be uh, could be tr uh, quite tricky. I have prepared some data in terms of the, the overall uh, the overall investment that has gone into uh, into PropTech. So globally over the last twenty years, uh, well not not to twenty twenty three, but uh, it has been over one hundred and thirty billion, and over fifty percent of it was invested in the last two years alone. So you can see that there is a rapid trajectory, and uh, there are a couple of factors for it. Probably the um, uh, I think we're going slightly slightly off topic, but just to show you that there is um, kind of a, there is an increase in the demand, and also there is an increase in the speed in which PropTech is being both started and both implemented in, in large institutions. And, and it's great that there's this massive boom, isn't there, in investment into into tech in in the real estate sector. Uh, and that brings great opportunity, but it does also bring um, some challenges. And I, I guess talent is, is one of those. If the, if the sector is growing exponentially, how, how do we make sure that when we can make ensure the investment continues to come, too, that the companies out there understand what it is that they're, they're buying into, what they're, what they're using? And then three, it's the, where do you find the people? Yeah. That's, um, that's a very good question. It's difficult. We've, um, I've at some data points as well. So in 2022, we saw an increase in digital skills, so 40% increase on data, product, and a 50% increase in engineering. And these are from multi-tech businesses, but well real estate guys looking to hire. Around the sustainability side last year, there was an increase in these highs by 60%. So this is down to obviously more investment going into uh, climate tech companies, but also um, most tech businesses, and I'm sure you've seen it, they're looking at sustainability element and little changing their solution to provide for their customers as well. But how do you get all these sustainability people into real estate? Like that's what we're right now championing at the moment, talking about the investment, talking about the sheer change you can have the impact have, which is what a lot of um, the younger generation are now looking for. Um, so yeah, we're right now hustling to attract people from different industries. Good thing about, um, I guess, the slightly turbulent market. I don't know what everyone does out here, but we've all had a challenging six months. We've seen the redundancies which have come out. But the good things about that is that there's a lot of great talent in the market. So if you are looking to hire, it's actually a great time because there's some incredible talent that also not at these huge rates, which we saw like salaries going up 20% nearly year on year for the last four years. So if you're looking to hire, you can probably get someone a slightly better rate and with a great skill set. Fantastic. Vincent, I wonder if you can you can build on that, whether you see um, the opportunity in finding that, that talent now, or whether it's a, your growth as, as deeply has been a, a, a challenge for you as well, as well as the opportunities. Indeed, you know, we are we're very lucky to, to have been in the industry for 10 years, uh, and now there's a momentum, so we are growing very fast, doubling our revenues every year, and almost doubling teams also every year, slowing down, but still. Uh, and when it comes time to hire 300 people, uh, it's not a piece of cake, obviously. Uh, and um, but what are the uh, ingredients of uh, what we feel as you know, not secret sauce, but a good recipe to make it happen, uh, is uh, uh, having a meaningful uh, 
vision uh, to share. And you mentioned Infosa, but uh, it's the, 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 the road to net zero. Uh, it's a very, very good marketing <laughs> tool in order to convince people that attract talents. Uh, the fact uh, uh, that our industry is also a brick and mortar industry, but uh, still has changed from significantly in the past years, is also something that is very meaningful for potential. Uh, uh, talents and the last but not the least is combining all of these with technology uh, because uh, of course it attracts uh, people at some point to say okay I will use technology in a very old-fashioned technology to do something which is meaningful to me hey interesting uh, but to make it happen obviously it's a lot of organization one of the key issues we face now is not only to hire people but to onboard them the right way and fast enough in order to be operational for our customers and also to not lose our, our DNA, our culture. Uh, and, uh, and, and this is something which is one of the most important things for us is to find people that will uh, commit to this uh, culture uh, because at the end, this is what we want to keep. And we, of course, it will evolve, that's life, uh, but still, we want to keep it as long as possible. So. Uh, for uh, for a lot of early stage startups, um, I think one of the um, uh, one of the challenges that they face is of course scaling quite rapidly with uh, receiving that VC investment, increasing the size of the team, building culture on the go, building it multiple in multiple offices. So for sure, I think having a strong uh, cultural values, uh, having a strong uh, vision uh, in mind helps. And I cannot speak from a founder perspective, uh, of course, but I can say that. For us as a venture capital investor, something that we have done with our own portfolio companies is because of the platform that we are building. So from one side, it's the real estate stakeholders, the investors that are part of our LP base. From another side, it's just the network that we have around it, uh, and also the founders that we have invested in. I guess we are we are uh, we are a good investor because they're um, in the happiness score. We do many surveys, so the happiness score is very good. We have founders turned investors actually in our second fund. When their companies, uh, when their companies increase in scale, so um, what we have done is, when, whenever we have uh, a member of our network that could be um, with expertise that is complementing to this uh, company, we are able to connect them with them. We are able to uh, even put it uh, or suggest it as a, a taking, uh, perhaps non-executive uh, chairman position, as we have done in one of our investments in the retrofit space in a zero modernization provider called Equork. So there uh, we have um, uh, put one of our uh, venture partners actually, um, the XCO Bonovia, large uh, journalist real estate company. Um, and um, this is very valuable for those prop techs because um, the uh, real estate is of course very B2B, um, it's a B2B uh, driven business. So getting in the right networks, getting uh, this little, uh, and um, the surroundings and being able to be positioned to succeed is very, very important. And that's valuable back for the investor as well, isn't it? Because they get to get to learn from the from the startups and the scale ups about about this. I don't want to say new industry; it's not really new anymore, but this growing growing part of, of real estate. Exactly, it's uh, bridging, um, as we said before, bridging the technology and real estate. And I'm really interested as um, as we talk about the sort of growth and how we are using tech more and more um, to solve problems like you know our environmental is issues um, what are the kind of skill sets that are required to help us get there faster and is the is the bricks and mortar side of, of this industry understanding what they want from from you is this one for me yeah skills um, skills I feel 
Well, it really depends what uh, stage business you are. I think the skills are required, a lot, like I said, lots of methods I mentioned about this, the data, the product, the engineering increase. Where there is a massive lack is the communication between both these teams, whether it's a large-scale real estate organization and the CTO and his team. There's a breakdown, which is just happens the whole time. So I think when you're scaling a tech business, it's making sure that all your teams are communicating uh, together. But this comes down to the value point as well. Is everyone on the same mission? Does everyone have the same drive to achieve things? That's a big issue. Um, and because there's also a really scary stat for everyone here who might be hiring, we did a salary survey with FIFBOL last year. We surveyed hundreds of people um, from the real estate world, the tech world, all within the built environment. And it showed that everyone is looking, unless you have a vested interest, and quite a lot, and the average stay in a business is 18 months. So for if you're looking at innovation and adoption, those are things you really need to work on because innovation can't happen in 18 months. You know, you need a lot more um, to work on. And Vincent, I don't know what you've seen, but like in terms of like a demand for skills within your business, if you scale to 300 people, I know some uh, countries are obviously more developed when it comes down to technology. There's less of a skill gap. Um, but, you know, it's every founder's uh, challenge at the moment, but I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, I agree with you. And um, it's interesting to see that in, in terms of a hard skills, of course, we need, you know, uh, people who are very good at selling and uh, especially the American way of selling, <laughs> uh, but uh, also uh, good developers, uh, good uh, uh, ESG experts, uh, consultants, project managers, oh, and all the uh, required skills you need for uh, company actually uh, where we face some issues is to find people experienced enough in the topic which is very new uh, the ESG side and not only us actually uh, which is okay we can take you know junior uh, workers or people who want to switch in their career and we train them we onboard them but it's harder for our customers uh, if there are some uh, asset managers in the, the room, I, I guess they have a head of ESG. Today, head of ESG are very scarce uh, resources that everybody would like to have access to. And it's not easy uh, to find them because, you know what, hey, it's a brand new topic. And uh, uh, five years ago, almost nobody had this position internally. So, um, yeah, there are some uh, skills like this. And, but more importantly than, than skills, it's, I think, the, the commitment. Uh, the, the willingness to, to have an impact, to, to, to help uh, and to work on a daily basis to, you know, uh, fight climate change. It's in interesting you use the word commitment there, which kind of juxtaposes with the 18 months um, sort of average stay in, stay in, a, in a role. And as someone who's been with the same company for over 20 years, that, that freaks, freaks me out. And I wonder, Sveta, um, for, for, for investors, does, is that information that people you know people are coming into this industry move, moving on quite quickly is that a concern or is that a a, a driver a feeder of, of talent coming into the sector yeah so i think uh, people skills and recruitment uh, is uh, um, uh, obviously not my specialty but i can say from a vc perspective we have seen so many more funds with a focus on prop tech being created over the last decade uh, and if you, um, I don't have the stats as a non-recruitment specialist, but in general, um, there is, of course, uh, this is a, an apprenticeship style uh, business in VC. So of course, you are able to um, gain skills, you're able to develop in a role, 
frequently people, of course, move fund to fund uh, whenever they find a good opportunity. So I think that is also um, an area that is worth uh, looking into. What we have done in, at PropTech, one is all senior team members have a part of the carry. So that is uh, back to the point of Louisa, being able to incentivize people to stay for the long term. I think, like, of course, for any uh, for any business, uh, you are uh, it is useful that you know that the people that you interact with um, are there for the long term and you don't want any change. So um, I think from our uh, company's standpoint, uh, as we are as we are an early stage investor, we also support them in structuring the cap table. We like to be quite an active investor and be really there when the founders need us. So whenever there is some team dynamics, whenever there is, uh, for example, new executive hire being uh, needed to be made, uh, we are definitely there to support them. And um, yeah, it, it is great that they are uh, they have this open line of communication with us. Fantastic. And I want to and stick with you for for a moment to to stay around that in investment and how. I mean, you know, we are seeing a huge increase in the number number of startups, and and um, you, you mentioned right at the beginning that you know the, the massive increase in investment coming into the sector, fifty percent over the last few years of that, a hundred um, odd billion. You said million. You said um, how how are we going to maintain that investment, and do we need do we need to ensure that um, there are Regulations, I suppose, particularly around ESG, that are driving more and more of investment into tech solutions for, for this industry and beyond. Yeah, so PropTech is an interesting sector, of course. I think uh, it's a common sentiment that everyone in this room feels that um, uh, the market is uh, challenging at the minute for, mm -hmm. for uh, real estate. There is no urgency to act. There is um, kind of this uh, more approach of wait and see what happens over the next months. At least that's what be, what's uh, been shared in conversations over and over again. Um, so I think PropTech, wh why PropTech is different and perhaps how I can illustrate it is PropTech One is a venture fund, our first vintage. So uh, venture funds for because I know that not everyone has the same level of awareness about uh, venture capital and how a venture fund works, but uh, in general, venture funds are raised in vintages. So our first vintage was raised December 21, and that was at 50 million euro um, final close, so all together. Um, the new fund that we are raising did a first close in January this year at 44 million euro. So as you can see, the total target of that fund is 100, so already double the size of the first one that was fully raised um, only uh, kind of two years ago. So um, And we managed to raise that substantial amount despite the challenging market. So I think there are a couple of reasons for that, and there is a couple of reasons why PropTech is still, of course, there are uh, investors still active in uh, making PropTech deals. There are uh, companies that are still out there uh, raising with a um, slightly, uh, I think, slightly slower pace. So, for example, in our team, if we ha if we had seen about 300 deals, perhaps uh, towards the end of last year, I think in the first two months of this year, we have seen a uh, total of two fi 250. Uh, so there, there is definitely uh, an increase in uh, in pace of solutions that are raising. But I think the, the reason why PropTech is interesting is because it's also related to how do we retrofit the existing building stock? How do we, um, as a we know that real estate is the world's largest asset class. How do we make it a fit to the needs uh, that we need for the for the future? And especially in Europe, it's a very big challenge. I think retrofit is one of the one of the challenges that we see in many countries. So France, uh, uh, France probably Germany, UK, uh, same thing. Um, I have again prepared uh, one of the stats that I saw that it is less than one percent that is the annual rate in which uh, retro stock takes place currently uh, as an average in uh, most well developed 
developed markets. And uh, we need to, um, I think, by, uh, to achieve those decarbonization targets by 2030 that are set by, uh, by the EU. Of course, we need to accelerate that pace. And I think other stats, I don't have them in front of me, but I think it was a 12x um, acceleration that we needed to, to do. Yeah, I've got, um, for the City of London, to retrofit all of it, it's going to cost $108 billion. It's going to need 40,000 new, like, skilled workers. And so but none of that can be done with, obviously, about without new talent, but also technology and innovation. And that's not to be done by, like, 2030. So that's, like, huge. But you just see, like, what innovation needs to happen but all the issues that obviously come with it. So therefore, therefore, there are resources. And I think, there, therefore, there, um, um, kind of the urgency for that is driving the continuous investment. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and that's back to my original point that, because usually it's not only one solution that is active in that domain. It's uh, probably tens, if not hundreds. So how do you choose which one to invest in? How do you choose which one to partner up with? That is the crucial point. <coughs> okay, we're going to get to how. Um, in a, a little bit. I would love Vincent, to build on your point, it. actually, yeah. because I cannot agree more. When we started the company 10 years ago, we used to say that there are three obstacles to transition towards net zero for the real estate industry. The first one was nobody used to care about this topic. It changed, luckily, and there will, uh, would have been definitely uh, before and after 2020, uh, and the regulation, and the Ukrainian war, uh, and uh, prior energy price volatility, material shortage, all these things helped on the past uh, years and months to speed up the awareness among the market. The second point is, uh, it was very hard for asset managers, landlords, occupiers, users to figure out what is the performance of their assets, of their buildings. Very, very hard. This is where a company like us help uh, solve this issue. And the third one is execution, retrofit, implementation. And I have to say that on this matter, uh, I cannot agree more with what you said, Risa, there is a huge shortage, not only of people. Uh, you know, if you take uh, the UK, Germany, France, and Italy, it's between 100 and 200,000 workers that are missing to make it happen. And if you are talking about existing workers, we are talking about skillful workers, because when you retrofit an asset, changing glazing with more efficient glazing without uh, thermal bridges, it's not the same work as changing uh, glazing and windows. So we need to train people again and to have more skillful companies to make it happen. I think the money is here, even though lately <laughs> it's a little bit more expensive, but still the money is here. However, the skills, the material, the shortage on, on concrete, on wood, on, uh, on glazing, everything we need. If you want to uh, uh, book a, to order a, a heat pump, it would take, um, it would take a month before having it. So. We need to work on this because otherwise we won't uh, meet the targets uh, the Paris Agreement uh, set up uh, several years ago. And this is, I think, where the, the biggest part of innovation uh, can be useful uh, to help the market transition. The, the big question now, I suppose, is how? And uh, how do we get there at the speed that we need to, need to get there? First, understanding where we are now. <laughs> Second, updating core business processes among the industry. Uh, you know, in the 90s, the real estate industry uh, became a financial industry. Financialization, can I say that? Uh, so we started implementing uh, ERP. We had uh, FP&A uh, people in charge of it. We had a re recurring reporting annual, then uh, quarterly reporting, and we had auditors to look at everything. This is good. Uh, oh, yes, I forgot. Uh, we stopped uh, talking about buildings and we stopped talking about uh, assets uh, this time. Uh, now we need to do the same, not in 10 years, in five years, but to follow what? Not only pounds, not only uh, euros or dollars, but CO2. And CO2 and over ESG topics, by the way, but at least CO2. 
And so we need ERP, FPNA, auditors, and the industry will learn and is in the process of updating core business processes, training people so that at the end, FPNA people will follow euros, pounds, and CO2. And this is a long change, but this is necessary to transition quickly. And the last thing is, again, what I mentioned about the, the, the industry with not enough resources and workers to make it happen, but uh, let's hope it will be the case in 10 years from now. But I think there is also, um, I agree with everything that you said, uh, Vincent, but I think from uh, your perspective, you have um, had the uh, kind of the speed and the pace of a founder, uh, of a startup founder, that everything moves quickly, everything uh, kind of happens on the go, happens without, um, you know, without uh, a chain of uh, follow-up reactions uh, taking, uh, follow-up decisions and reactions taking place. So I think that's also true that we are, um, we need uh, the speed to be accelerated, but for an industry that has traditionally moved slower. So um, it, it, there has to be, I think there has to be a way for one of the actually very important points is for uh, stakeholders to talk to each other, right? To, uh, to firstly talk in between each other, so to, to eliminate silos, to uh, perhaps create uh, some common shared uh, uh, shared understandings that can be put as a um, uh, example to to the wider to the wider uh, audience, and also for found, uh, for startups to um, to engage more with uh, with the entities that perhaps they try to sell into, perhaps they try to work in, uh, and uh, this is uh, again building up this platform so I have to I have to refer to some of the initiatives that we have done at PropTech. One, as uh, uh, Lou, uh, Lou mentioned in the beginning, but bringing those stakeholders together to exchange uh, organically on a certain topic sometimes creates a lot of follow-up discussion points that are uh, that give food for uh, great ideas and great implementations. Um, I will say I think for all this to happen, I think there needs to be a hell of a lot more regulation and sort of not that I want people to get fines or anything, but Law 97 in New York. Most of the real estate owners and operators there, they're going to get their shit together um, because those fines are going to be huge and everyone is looking at their profit margins at the moment. I think there's other things like Gresby happening in Europe and so forth. But obviously, I not, don't know so much about regulation and ESG, but I think when fines start, being, start happening, I think the real estate world will start waking up to the right, how can we now achieve it, and that's technology. Fantastic. So we've got about 15 minutes left. It's usually the time that I throw out to the audience uh, for any questions for our panel. Remember, do not be shy. No such thing as a stupid question. Anyone out there? Here we go, right at the front. Can you hear me? Yeah. Um, a question for all of you, actually. This um, talent retention issue, 18 months, How? what is needed to, 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 to get that up to two years, three years, et cetera. Like, I don't know whether the younger crowd is incentivized just with money alone. So I've actually got, like, um, in this salary report, which we did with Fifth Wall, a lot of it was obviously about uh, why do people look, how do you keep people happy, and especially for, like, the younger generation. I keep saying young generation. I'm not all that myself. I'm early 30s. But, like, the difference between me and, like, some of my team in their early 20s is crazy what they sort of look for. It's not just about base salaries. It's about uh, what is your... Um, What's the autonomy you give to them? They all want flex work, and they don't really know much else of people since sort of COVID come out of university. A lot of it's about the um, benefit packages. Like um, in the Nordics, for example, lots of them adopted the four-day working week. They love that. They love the responsibility that you give them, the autonomy. Um, benefit packages to like the gym, but also a huge amount of it is like just the environment, the values which you create. And I think in scaling culture, what often businesses get wrong, it's just, I'm going to say organized chaos. It's not 
organized. It's chaos, and I think just keeping people happy. And even though it, like there are days where it's just manic, it's just showing them, look, we're doing a great job. You could do this better. It's just how you almost give feedback to them. The younger generation, it's they can't really take feedback too well. And I think what I've had actually external training on is how can I relay the feedback and sort of motivate them. And it's so so important that you know you're all on the same mission together to get them on board. But that's what um. That's what our report showed, and that's from my personal experience too. Vincent might disagree, I don't know. <laughs> to a certain extent, I don't. <laughs> um, the, 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 our first asset in the company is the people. It's not the technology, it's not the portfolio, because behind what we do, uh, you have people that make it happen, and it's very, very important. But it's not easy. Uh, of course, uh, uh, you need to have a, uh, to share a meaningful uh, vision and goal. Uh, you need to offer good financial conditions, uh, good uh, uh, DNA where people feel happy to come every morning, uh, even though it's not all the money. Um, but it's not that easy, you know, because maintaining, especially in a bigger company, consistency uh, with packages, for instance. And you cannot say yes to a, a very skillful person that wants to uh, leave if you don't raise a salary or his salary right now. Why? Because you need to maintain consistency among the company. And this is the whole thing about HR, which is both passionate and very challenging, is to figure out how to create an environment where people feel that the, the way of taking care of uh, people is fair. And, um, and I don't have a secret sauce. It's a continuous uh, learning and improvement. So. I wonder if you know, the, the title of this session helps with retention and attraction as, as well. You know, that we're, we're talking about you know, exploring and Im improving the most interesting, impactful, and profitable issues in, in the sector. That should be a great um, call to action, shouldn't it, for, for people who want to come into this sector to make a difference, to create the, the tools to um, retrofit, decarbonize, whatever, whatever it might be. Yeah, but that comes down to raise more uh, awareness, so more of a focus, where it's around MIP and around innovation. Those are the uh, scaling tech businesses are still in the bunker, as we um, all know. Some of them have sort of got out of it, but it's like, how can we get more of the real estate folk down there to sort of start meeting these founders? Um, I, I don't know what most of you studied at school. I studied geography. That's my first, you know, that's all I really spoke about when it came down to sustainability, and that was like such a minor, minor part. Now, like, I feel like there needs to be more modules um, driving attention into innovation and technology, and I think some universities are doing it, but it's the education, it's the awareness piece, um, what is what basically really needs to be worked on, but that's not something that happens overnight. From an investor point of, point of view, Sveta, um, how do, talking about those people who are in the bunker, and actually your investors are, you know, are well-known names. How do, we, how do we work with them and the, and the founders down in the bunker to say, well, come, <laughs> come upstairs, come out into the, into the sunshine so people can see what this industry does, what it delivers, and, and that, you know, we, we need more and more and more investment into, into the solutions? Yeah, so I think uh, by now there is definitely uh, an awareness. I see an awareness piece that is that has much accelerated from the last, uh, from the first uh, fund conversations that mm -hmm. we've had. Um, so if beforehand it was, uh, for example, uh, stakeholders were aware of the prop tech topic, they were aware that this using technology was useful for them, but they were not quite there yet with how urgent it is to to do that. Whereas right now, I think there is almost with uh, depending on how your portfolio is structured, but almost a sense of panic when it comes to how do you, how do you decarbonize it by. Uh, 2030 for the um, the emissions that we need to reduce uh, Europe-wide is by 50 uh, 55 percent by 2030. 
So um, th that, that is a big challenge. And I think, of course, when you uh, um, bundle it together with financial concerns and uh, putting fines uh, on uh, non-compliant non -compliant stakeholders, that, of course, uh, also helps. But I don't think that it's the sense that they don't want to engage with PropTech. I think it's more of a sense that they don't know how to, uh, to engage with PropTech. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it is a learning curve and it is a, a, a journey uh, that uh, we are all going through actually. Um, so it's, uh, I think for, um, if your core, if your core uh, activity in a real estate company is not to assess startups and it's not to look out for new innovations, well, of course we, do, we cannot expect for those people to you know, be actively spending 90% of, uh, of their role uh, you know, having those conversations. There it comes down to, of course, having a partner that you could partner up with and that can help you accelerate in that journey. Well, such as us, but we're not the only ones that do that uh, on the market. So it's a, p a point of, um, I think, sitting down with the core team and um, uh, creating this roadmap on how do you get to um, the, and the stage that you need to get to in order to uh, really work with the technology solutions that would make a difference uh, in your portfolio. Because I think uh, one of the core differences that we see in, uh, yeah, for example, real estate companies is uh, whether they're going to use a certain startup as uh, to implement it in the core portfolio or whether they could take a direct equity stake in. Mm -hmm. For the ones that are already on that journey that they do have an awareness about PropTech, they do have an awareness that they want to engage further, and that is kind of the next question. So I think it's uh, just to um, create a wider ecosystem and being, being aware of who you can partner up for help in getting there faster, if that makes sense. Of course. Are, th are there still companies out there who don't understand that they need to be investing in utilizing tech um, for, for whatever they need to do in this, this business. It's not just about putting a brick on a brick any, anymore, is it? It's about operation, it's about that decarbonization. It, are th do those companies still exist where they're oblivious to, to this world? Um, from what, um, from obviously I've hired like heads of innovation, heads of digital, I've worked with um, CEOs of these big real estate agencies. Um, I think that way, I think just with the market's been, is it top and priority now? Is it the right time to be taking a risk? Um, is there enough proof that there's value in X product? I think the more we're, like the more they sort of get together in Europe, there's a um, there's an association called Real Estate, um, and what's it called? It's called Vream Tech, uh, which is led by Nakash, who is CIO or PGEN. He gets together with 50 of the CIOs or CTOs of um, Europe's asset managers, and they every sort of six weeks to exchange, right, what products are they using, what's working, but I think the more that we get the real estate community doing this and spending time, it'll be great for the industry. But that's only been going for like four years and it's a growing, it's a growing association, but you gotta get, you know, the head of whatever this real estate organization to join that too. Companies from the likes of uh, PGM or, um, you know, from uh, what we have seen, um, Joe Spark, as we mentioned, they are partnering up with those vehicles. So I think that there is an acceleration of how do you how do you get to uh, to the uh, to the level that you that you need. And um, uh, yeah, I think what what was the qu I, I uh, forgot the, the follow up <laughs> I question. The question. It was about, about um, whether there were any companies that weren't. Understanding. Oh, I see. Yes. Yep. Uh, so, of course, we cannot expect that everyone is on the journey at the same pace. Uh, that's uh, there are many there are many reasons why uh, why that, that's not universally the case. I think also geography uh, geography wise, there are mm -hmm. certain differences that we see. Um, but uh, but 
definitely overall sentiment is that we are moving in the right direction. And I think just to uh, mention from a venture standpoint, whenever there is a time of crisis, it is actually a good time to be in venture because uh, entry valuations are lower. So mm -hmm. uh, it's um, utilizing the same strategy, but being able to enter at, uh, at a lower standpoint. Every, every cloud, eh? yeah. every cloud. Which is not the best place <laughs> to be for others. Um, Vincent, are, are you seeing the same of the conversations that you you've been having with um, real estate companies incre increased um, over over recent years? Are there any companies that st are still like who who what how? Interesting. Uh, my first meeting was seven years ago, mm -hmm. and uh, where I was uh, pitching what we we, we do at DeepKey. Um, actually, uh, I remember some uh, questions such as, uh, but where do you put the solar panels? And I was like, oh, did I mention solar panels somewhere? Uh, and, um, and, and, and we see that the evolutions among the market, it's incredible. Uh, last year, I was invited to a panel uh, in order to talk with uh, some of uh, uh, our customers and key asset managers on the market. And I prepared you know, something about how things changed in the past years and what was the key changes regarding SFDR, regarding uh, net zero pathway, etc. And actually, uh, the, the, the head of asset management of a very big company uh, started uh, the, with the, his introduction and he said exactly what I have, what I have prepared to say. And I was like, okay. And every month we see the evolution of the understanding. This is a brand new topic. This is the first time in uh, mankind history uh, <laughs> where we try to transition towards net zero. So everybody is learning uh, from it. And it's kind of incredible to see how asset managers and uh, real estate actors embrace the topic now. And, uh, and we can see it, of course, in the number of uh, panels we have uh, this year on this new MIPIM edition, but also on the number of uh, connections we have uh, with uh, our partners and customers. So yes, it's, it's incredible. And this is for the best, I think. Gentleman at the front. Thank you. Um, just a quick follow-on question on that, Vincent. The, um, do you see any differences in terms of scale or size in the companies that you're dealing with? So what you just outlined and what we've seen at this conference um, is that larger companies obviously find that a bit easier. They have their teams, they have uh, technology experts, sustainability divisions even sometimes. Um, what about small and medium-sized companies who are definitely also waking up to this, but sometimes just don't have the resources to deploy? Um, are they able to keep up with the speed? Or probably also a question in terms of resources available, not just technical, but, but you know, they will be trying to get on the train, I guess. I think I gave my answer to, to that. <laughs> no, no, I gave my answer to that with being able to partner up with the uh, kind of resource, um, not even if you are not able to allocate this resource in-house, being able to partner up with a player that is able to help you scale on that journey. And, and actually, like in every market, I guess there is a, uh, there are early adopters and late adopters and, you know, the massive majority between the two. Uh, and yes, of course, for for this topic in the real estate industry, it's the case. Uh, I would have named anybody, but in terms of early adopters, we clearly see uh, insurances companies and big international asset managers that are clearly uh, at the in, the in front of uh, the market for already years. Uh, if you mention, if you think about the Net Zero Asset Owner Alliance that has been built uh, uh, under uh, UNEP, uh, UNEP uh, umbrella 10 years ago already, uh, it is full of uh, insurances companies. On the other, set of the uh, other side of the spectrum, you have, uh, I would say, individual investors, uh, some family office, offices, not all of them, of course, uh, but clearly they are the least advanced or mature on the topic. And between the two, it's very complicated. It depends on the class of asset, of the country, of... Uh, 
Um, what I can say as well, that what we've seen in terms of talent, so for like smaller businesses, they might more recently, right, we need a sustainability strategy. So they hired someone to do um, head of ESG, head of sustainability. So that's one person. They've got it from like another industry. They've come in, put the strategy in place. Now they're going into the implementation technical stage and they don't have the resources because the business hasn't got the budget for it. And then the person ends up leaving. They're nowhere. Um, they're not where they should be with their strategy, which we're seeing a huge amount with the businesses of that size, just not having the, that skill set to actually follow it through. So, yeah, we're slowly getting there, but that's a problem which we're seeing a lot. I do have a follow-up question, actually, for you, Lou. Uh, what is the skill set <laughs> required for a head of sustainability? Um, that's a very good question. I would have to ask my sustainability team on that. But um, <laughs> there's I think every business, depending on the size, is different sort of plans and different like years which they need to, I guess, achieve certain targets on. Um, I couldn't tell you the exact skills that a head of sustainability needs. We've got a specialist team that does that. If you would like to know, contact Ella Marie after <laughs> this panel. Yeah, if you're looking for a job or want to hire, call me. <laughs> Great ad. Uh, there was a question right here as well. Uh, hi, hello. I have a question regarding um, the growth of this prop tech companies, growth in terms of their success. Um, are they making it big on their own, as we see with Ipki, or mostly they are getting bought, or they just fail because they don't really get to, show, to prove value and uh, interest from the industry? Thank you. I think that's probably for you, that question. Um, yeah, I think, uh, as, uh, as we know, um, um, I think it's uh, nine out of 10 <laughs> startups, uh, startups fail. So uh, of course, the success, uh, the success rate is um, yeah, low, uh, to, to be completely fair, of all startups being made. But then again, um, it is very difficult to uh, get this uh, VC funding. So just to put it in perspective, at PropTech One, we have seen about 3,000 companies in our deal flow database. So that means that uh, those are solutions that the team has actively looked into their pitch decks, assess them, uh, go and buy our scorecard where those are businesses that match our criteria. And at the end of the day, from fund one, we ended up investing in 16. So you can see that this is a very, very, it, it is difficult, right? And there, I think one of the, perhaps we didn't uh, touch upon that, but we do see it as a very strong value add for a founder to have had traditional real estate experience and domain expertise in the area that they're trying to solve a pain point in. Um, so I think that is that is quite positive. But then again, just because a startup is being founded, it doesn't mean that it will raise capital. It doesn't mean that it will make it big. What is, help, what is helping is, of course, having supportive investors, having the right cap table. Um, I think one of the first and main um, um, value adds and also goals for an early stage investor is to support those companies in raising their next round of funding with um, uh, investors that are going to help them scale that solution even further. I'm sure that you have experienced that, uh, Vincent, uh, to new markets, to new territories, to new, uh, open more doors, right? Because um, it is uh, it is difficult to break into that um, kind of traditionally closed, closed circles. So in terms of, um, but overall, I think that we have seen more companies raise late stage funding rounds in PropTech in Europe over the last years as that's a tr um, natural trajectory, right? This, I think 10 years ago, PropTech wasn't even a mainstream term uh, in uh, conversations that maybe you can uh, feed back to uh, early uh, conversations at EG and whether you had panels uh, on, on that. We certainly, we certainly didn't. It was a, a made up word back in, back in those days. Um, and now we just call it tech, yeah. right? Um, so the, the evolution. Um, we have time for one more question, otherwise I will um, throw a last one to our panel to round us up. A second question, so greedy, but you can have it, you can have it. It's, um, 
Vincent, I had the opportunity to listen to a podcast that you spoke on, I think it's from 2021, and it was about net zero and the bus. I can't remember exactly the, how you described it, but they were all on the bus and it was about, it was only a question of how hard we would crash. Have you changed your perspective? Not at all. Uh, yes, you, 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 thank you for, for sharing that. Uh, you are referring to, uh, to uh, this metaphor uh, about uh, actually we are all in the bus that is running at a very high speed and uh, in uh, 500 meters uh, from us uh, there will be a, a wall and a big one, not the one you can destroy. So the question is uh, how fast can we slow down the speed so that the shock is uh, the smallest. Uh, and um, you know, wh every morning I wake up and by nature I'm very optimistic. So I put all my energy uh, in uh, my day-to-day -day job and, and uh, with all our colleagues I think we are all the same. Uh, but when I look at, uh, the, rationally speaking, uh, the situation, sometimes I'm very pessimistic. Uh, that's why we need to use this frustration to transform it and to make things happen because uh, you know what? We are going to suffer, all of us, if we don't move very, very fast. So let's cross fingers and work all together. <laughs> if we can uh, ever end a conversation with me having a vision of um, speed and Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock in my head, then I think that's been a good discussion. Uh, and I'm definitely going to watch Speed uh, this weekend on Netflix. Uh, um, please put your hands together for Louisa Svete and Vincent.